And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined in Zoom conference by one of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Mr. Tim Britton. Tim, how are you? Uh, I'm probably having a better week than you are since you had to move. And that is, I think, uh, the yeah. worst thing that can happen to someone uh, uh, <laughs> under normal circumstances in 2022. So I'm sitting down to record this and I'm realizing that it's like the first time I've sat down probably in seven weeks, <laughs> in, seven, in seven days. I'm uh, not seven weeks, but but uh, in quite some time. It's nice. It feels good to rest the legs. I'm recording in my old apartment, the empty former apartment, which is a uh, longtime retrospective listeners will remember. Uh, I started doing this podcast in an empty apartment, but it was a different one in the same building. And now I'm here in what used to be my apartment. Uh, I hear the wistfulness in your tone as you get nostalgic about it. Yeah, you know, like I'm looking at my toaster oven. I guess we're leaving it here. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I I, uh, I warmed up a lot of appetizers in this thing. The toaster ovens um, are, you know, I, I was anti-toaster oven until I got to college because we just didn't have one as a kid. Uh, and then when I realized, like, wait, these can do toast and pizza? I am sold. I need no other product. It is the best. It is the best of the small kitchen electrics. Uh, except that I have upgraded. I, uh, we, we went to an air fryer in our new, an air fryer that also serves as a toaster oven, uh, in our new apartment. So I have not really even been able to experiment with it very, very much because we don't have any food yet. <laughs> well, that means, uh, so it's like, I'm looking, I'm searching for things to air fry and it's like, I got, uh, kids cheese sticks. I feel like that's not going to go so well. I think you can air fry just about anything. Well, but not like a soft cheese with no breading, right? It's just going to melt down into. It's going to set my air fryer on fire. I'm not like it's, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a total rube here. Uh, so say, say in, say someone hasn't really had access to a television for several days and caught uh, only the last few innings of the Mets Thursday night. I want to say last night was Thursday night, and we're recording this on Friday morning. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay, um, so if they only saw the the last few innings of the Thursday night win over the Rockies, uh, including the downright disrespectful home run off Jacob Degrom by by Ryan McMahon in an otherwise stellar outing, uh, what what do we need to know about the Mets? Because I'm looking at the standings, and the most concerning thing right now is that the Braves have again stopped losing. Yeah, so really outside of Sunday uh, when Atlanta did lose a game to Houston. Uh, it just keeps winning. Uh, it swept the Pirates, uh, uh, but now faces St. Louis this weekend. So that's another team that's playing very well. But we'll be missing Nolan Arenado for some portion of that series as he's uh, on, uh, going on on the paternity list uh, for the birth of his child. Um, 
you know, with the Mets the last couple of days, you've got uh, DeGrom pitching like DeGrom, as he has all season to this point uh, on Thursday night. You know, it, that the, the Mets look like a really good pitching staff when you are pitching just Jacob DeGrom, Seth Lugo, Edwin Diaz, and Adam, Adam Anavino in a game. Uh, you know, I, I felt you almost felt bad for Charlie Blackman. Uh, he struck out three times against Jacob DeGrom, and his reward when once DeGrom was out of the game was to face Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning. Uh, so, you know, when the Mets have that as their, their pitching staff in a single game, uh, they look pretty pretty difficult to beat, especially the way Lugo has pitched of late as well. Uh, you go back to the Subway Series on Monday and Tuesday, uh, and Aaron Judge hit home runs in, in both of those games. Uh, the Yankees won uh, a couple of, of tighter games. Uh, you know, the Mets, that, that Tuesday game in particular, I think, was, was kind of sloppily played. Uh, you know, the Mets have played a little bit like that the last couple of, of days. Uh, we saw that on Sunday, you know, the game they won against Philadelphia. So, uh, remarkably, uh, was also not exactly a, uh, a work of art in terms of fundamentals uh, from either side. So, you know, I, I think the Mets are still playing well. Like, there's no, uh, there's no real reason to sound the alarm outside of that Atlanta is playing a little bit better. Uh, and, you know, when you're playing a team like Colorado, you know, you want to say win three out of four, you're good. Just win series, win series after series. But Atlanta is sweeping those types of series, uh, and so uh, with the Rockies in town, you you know I think it was the old Todd Frazier thing. You want to get greedy, uh, and, and I think maybe the Mets need to get greedy uh, when they're playing Colorado this weekend, Washington next weekend, when they go to Pittsburgh and Miami. You know those are series that uh, obviously you want to win them, but you, you want to look to to go you know to sweep. Yeah, the schedule is very much in their favor down the stretch. They've got it, like you mentioned, a a, a bunch of cupcakes uh, on the horizon, and so. Uh, it, it becomes, you know, taking care of business more than like necessarily uh, beating the better teams. But we've seen, I mean, certainly uh, there's, you know, the concept of the spoiler is nothing new in sports. And, and every guy on the Pirates wants to win that game because they're all playing for, for playing time next year and such. So uh, they have to actually go and, and win the games. You mentioned the, the pitching lineup in last night's game, but uh, we didn't discuss the the order in which it came. And it's something we've seen Buck Walter do earlier in the season, but uh, it, it always sort of warms my heart when he goes to Edwin Diaz based on matchups in the eighth. Now, I would assume the plan last night was probably for two innings out of Diaz. You know, I'm not sure because when he's gone two innings with Diaz, it's generally been either, you know, a, a big game against Atlanta or uh, they've got a day off the next day, uh, and that's not the case here. Uh, but uh, I, I do wonder, you know, if Diaz, you know, he got, I think he got the first yeah. two outs in five or six pitches. I think it was four. I think it may have been four. Two guys got on. It might have been, yeah, so... Uh, you know, he was trending in a direction where he was not going to throw very many pitches to get through that eighth inning, and then maybe you stick with him. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, he probably goes out of Eno anyway because it's a two-run lead. It's the bottom of the Colorado lineup, which is not the bottom, you know, it, it's not just the bottom of a lineup. It's the bottom of a lineup that's not particularly good. Uh, and, you know, you have the off day Wednesday, so everyone is kind of rested in that bullpen. And if you keep them all 1-1-1, then you feel like they're all pretty much available the next day. You know, maybe not Lugo, but, uh, you know, you, you have... Everyone at your disposal uh, on on Friday as well, uh, and then into Saturday. You know, so uh, I, I'm guessing he wouldn't have gone, but I think there's there's was definitely the temptation to do that if he had gotten through that you know seven pitches in the ninth. Well, and it was inning. good to see Adovino pitch the ninth. Like again, Adovino's had a great year. He's got a 2.13 ERA, but I, it it feels like he, it, it, I don't know. There's there's something. 
it's just like a, a slight lack of the dominance that you fully I, like. I don't want to knock the guy who when he has a two point one three ERA, but I think uh, certainly from based on the questions we've been fielding all, all season long about an eighth inning guy and another lockdown bullpen arm, uh, there's been some skepticism about Adovino. And you know when the ninth inning comes in play, for as as ridiculous as it sounds and as silly as like the capital C closer label was and is. You know, you do worry that a guy might melt in that spot uh, facing his the team that that brought him up uh, and everything else. And and it was good to see Adovino lock down the ninth, I thought. It's good to know that Showalter can go that way. It's nice to have two other guys in your bullpen in Adovino and Lugo with, you know, some reasonable closing experience. Uh, I think I think Michael Givens has closed a bit in the past as well. Um, and, you know, they, they've looked at Trevor May in that spot as well. But, you know, Adovino has something like 30 career saves. Lugo's got, you know maybe 15 or so, but he's done it uh, for the Mets in the past. And Adovino, you know, I I wonder just how much he suffers by the juxtaposition Mm -hmm. with Diaz. Uh, Like, you know, when when the guy coming in behind you is striking out 50% of batters and you're striking out a normal number, it's like, man, he's really not that dominant compared to this other dude. Um, Whereas, you know, Adovino's whip is just over one. Uh, you know, he's, he's walked only 14 guys in 15 two thirds innings. Uh, one thing that I think is really, uh, fascinating and, and I think encouraging for the Mets is the way that they have distributed mm-hmm. the workload in the bullpen. You look, uh, on Friday morning, uh, their leaders in relief innings, it's Adovino with 50 and two thirds, Diaz with 50 and one third and Lugo with 50 which is a pretty incredible distribution of those innings uh, and you know keeps them out of the very top part of the league uh, where you worry a little bit about guys wearing down into September and October you know they've been able to to kind of uh, delegate pretty well in that bullpen uh, and, and keep guys healthy keep those three in particular healthy uh, and and hopefully fresh for the stretch of the season Jacob deGrom's strikeout to walk ratio is 23 to 1 because he has 46 strikeouts in and two walks your thoughts uh i think it's ridiculous that he walked a guy last uh, night he's got to be better i honestly think i honestly think ryan mcmahon needs to stand out like don't if you need to <laughs> show off and get a hit off jacob de like have a nice single right like maybe knock a slider that that hangs up a little bit the opposite way and get a single like a, a monster home run it's a bad look who do you think you are that's it it's who do you think you are ryan mcmahon um we have many things to talk about, or at least several other things to talk about, including something you wrote about recently. Um, and something that's been a topic, again, also uh, all year long. The Mets have gotten almost no offense from their catchers. Uh, it's a concession, I think, that people are willing to make, that certainly the Mets have been willing to make, because there's there's no doubt they've gotten great defense from their catchers. It seems like they've gotten great, uh, you know, sort of intangible staff handling from their catchers. Can they carry on like this or do they need more yeah i mean it's it's been an interesting week i think for their catchers because you go back to the weekend where they've got four games in under 48 hours in philadelphia uh and i think you know most anyone would have been surprised if you told them beforehand that michael perez was Mm -hmm. going to start three of them over james mccann that it was you know you know i thought maybe it would be a split two and two but i I actually expected mccann to start three of them and said it was perez who started three uh and I think it says something about the the relative lack of production from the catcher position that, uh, like, I, I think the general Mets fan came out of that series thing like, hey, Michael <laughs> Perez handled himself well. He went two for 11 um, with a bunch of strikeouts. It was just those two hits drove in four runs. Um, 
And, and then McCann, you know, obviously on Monday night with Scherzer, uh, kind of calling out the way that he set up for uh, the fastball to Aaron Judge, that Judge hit out for a home run, uh, was as explicit as we've heard uh, a pitcher criticize a catcher uh, in Queens in some time. He like, you go back to, to Syndergaard and, and Wilson Ramos, and that was kind of behind the scenes, uh, not, not in the postgame press conference. And McCann is a guy who, in general, like pitchers really do like throwing to him. Uh, that was something his, his reputation coming into Queens was that way uh, from his time in Detroit and Chicago. Uh, that you know, even when he wasn't a great pitch framer, he was a very good game caller who got on the same page with pitchers. Uh, that they developed a really good rapport with him, and we've seen that this year as well. You know, a guy like Chris Bassett uh, has has preferred to throw to uh, McCann over over Tomas Nito or Patrick Mazika. He hasn't said it that way, but it, it sure has has felt that way, and the results have, have dictated as much. Uh, so, you know, it was a rough few days for McCann in, in that regard. But you look at, like, the other options here, and yeah, McCann's hitting 181 uh, with a, a 44 OPS+. Plus. You know, Tomas Nito is hitting 224 with a 54 OPS+. Plus. Like, overall... Mets catchers have produced a 520 OPS on the season. It's not just the worst they have out of any position this year. It's the second worst any team has out of any position this year. Uh, it's the third worst the Mets have ever had at any position. It's the worst they've ever had from their catchers. Uh, so like you can get by when your catchers are giving you this little, when a single position group is giving you this little. The, the 2018 Red Sox had basically the same kind of production from their catchers. But it's it creates a marginal disadvantage that you got to make up somewhere else, and like for those Red Sox teams, it was having Mookie Betts as your MVP right fielder. The Mets don't have a guy quite that level uh, operating on the team this year, uh, but they you know they're good at virtually every other spot. Uh, maybe third base is an issue as well. They've kind of shored up DH since the the trade deadline with Vogelback, uh, mainly Vogelback. Rough has has been okay so far. Uh, but it just, you know, it, it's basically operated as a pitcher's spot again for them in the bottom of the order, as you saw Tuesday when Nito bunted twice. You know that they just they just haven't gotten anything offensively out of that position, uh, and you wonder if that comes back to haunt them at some point, or if they have to, you know, maneuver their roster a specific way in the postseason to allow themselves to pinch hit more. If they have need to carry a third catcher the way they are now, just so they can pinch hit in the sixth inning and the eighth inning for their catcher, uh, and and what that does to roster flexibility. You mentioned Tuesday night's game a lot, uh, assuming that everyone had their TVs plugged in <laughs> on that night and were well aware of the tension between Scherzer and James McCann. But if someone was new to that topic, uh, how would you how would you summarize it? Yes, that, that was actually the Monday night game, but uh, it was that Scherzer, you know, was delivering. He he was going to deliver a, a fastball to Judge that he thought was going to be down in the zone. Like him and McCann had agreed that it was a fastball coming, uh, and according to Scherzer, they had talked pregame about how they wanted to stay down in the zone to Judge in particular. Uh, and as Scherzer goes into his delivery, you know, McCann, like like he sometimes does, the like catcher sometimes do, kind of stood up to raise the target up uh-huh. in the zone, above the zone, uh, and that kind of threw Scherzer off. Uh, the pitch wasn't where he wanted it to be, and it ended up being a home run. Uh, and then Scherzer afterward said basically all of that. Uh-huh. So it was like a, it was like more or less a cross up in a bad spot. Yeah, it was. It wasn't a cross up on pitch. It was on pitch choice. It was a cross up on location. Right. Uh, and uh, that led to a bad outcome. And you're you know you're used to a pitcher in that that sense. Kind of. Uh, I don't know if it's fully throwing McCann under the bus, but he at least you know. <laughs> 
It's a little he bit. At least bus it, he nudged him toward the bus. It's definitely <laughs> at that. At the very least, it's um, it just it's just that that's so rare. It's so rare in baseball for a player to to call out a teammate in any sort of public forum uh, that it does seem to that that to me suggests that there's probably more to that. Yeah, and and we know going back to spring training, like Scherzer. Barely threw to McCann in spring training. McCann missed some time, but you know Scherzer was thrown to Nito pretty much from the start. He threw to, he's thrown to Nito for the majority of his starts this season. Uh, he's got a better ERA throwing to Nito than McCann. So it seems like moving forward, my expectation would be that Tomas Nito is is catching almost every Max Scherzer start. And, you know, like the, the criticism we usually hear from pitchers about their catchers is is more aligned to what Bassett did with Nito earlier this season, where like once they got on the same page, he was kind of like, yeah, you know, for a while we weren't operating where we needed to be. And that's on me. You know, I I, I need to sit down and have a conversation to make it more explicit what I want to do. Uh, and, and now we're there and now we're OK. Uh, and, you know, that, that you're used to hearing it kind of couched in that. You know, mm-hmm. It's my fault, too. I didn't make things something clear. Uh, where Scherzer was just kind of like, we talked about it, and he should have known, essentially, uh, what I wanted to do there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, yeah, I mean, Max Scherzer is he takes his craft seriously. Right. And so, like, get on get on this man's level. He takes his craft. Ser- um, yeah, I get. I Do you guess. think he does or I no? Or because it seems <laughs> no. like yes. It seems <laughs> yes. like he might care yeah. a little bit. The answer is yes. Um, why then? Like, what's if James McCann, the selling point is, oh, but he's a you know, he's a good defensive catcher. Oh, and I mean, the selling point used to be. Oh, he's going to come around with the bat. I think at this point, a year and a half deep into his tenure with the Mets, we can more or less give up on the bat being what it was a few years ago. I think you could hope it's better than this still, but it's unreasonable, I think, to say like, oh, he's going to be an above average offensive catcher moving forward. So if he's not going to be an above average offensive catcher moving forward, if he's not even going to be like a credibly below average offensive catcher moving forward, why can't it be Alvarez? 
So, okay. Uh, we'll start. Yeah, McCann has played 162 games with the Mets uh, at this point, and he's OPSing 610. Uh, it's 69 OPS plus. That is, uh, you know, even if you thought you were getting the James McCann of his career before, uh, uh, you know, like uh, before he uh, had his breakout in, in 2019 with the White Sox, that was still a better offensive player than he's been with the Mets. With Alvarez, you know, I, I've, I've discussed this in the past, but one thing that I dislike about the way most of us follow the minor leagues is we follow it uh, via highlights, right? Uh, and, like, you see, uh, you know, people who, who cover the minor leagues more closely than I do tweeting, like, oh, Francisco Alvarez hit another massive home, mammoth home run. Like, here's, here's a video of Francisco Alvarez doing this or doing that. Uh, and so, like, you know, the other day, Francisco Alvarez's last game, he hit a mammoth home run. And the thing you don't realize is that it had been 11 games since his previous Mammoth home run. And during that stretch, he went 5 for 40 with no extra base hits. Um, and so, uh, like, you look at Alvarez's body of work at Syracuse, which is about a month, you know, 32 games. Uh, he's still hitting He's hitting 180. Uh, the OPS is 719. Uh, so, you know, you're not... He's slugging 378. That's slugging, like, 70 points lower than JT Riddle is for, for Syracuse. JT Riddle... Uh, is a guy you might know if you followed the National League East for a while uh, from his time in, with the Marlins, not necessarily known as a, a, a great MLB hitter. Uh, so he's not done the stuff at AAA Syracuse that, you know, I, I always talk about it like like knocking on the door. He's not knocking on the door of the major leagues the way he's performed at Syracuse. He's, you know, he's not mastered the level, as it were, uh, the way that, like, say, Mark Vientos has. Uh, right. You know, if, if Mark Vientos were the catcher who you weren't sure if he could handle it defensively you've probably given him a chance because his OPS is 917 he's hit basically since May 1st uh, at AAA Uh, Alvarez hasn't done that and you add the defensive questions it's pretty clear from the way they've treated him that they don't view him as a guy that they trust to be a a defensive catcher in the major leagues at this point Um, and so if if the offense isn't uh, giving you a huge it isn't compensating for that uh, as much as it needs to be then it doesn't quite make sense to bring him up. Does it change on September 1st? Maybe, but again, they, you only get to call up two guys, uh, and there's a couple different people uh, in AAA, Vientos chief among them, mm-hmm. uh, that maybe deserve to get the opportunity first. I guess, the, but the question is, right, like, and and you don't want to mess with Alvarez's development, and I get that, but this is a team that is has a two-game lead in, a, in the division and has, like you said, like a historically bad production from one position. There is a guy and like, and you're right, like he's hitting 180. But I would say like, if you, you know, the peripherals aren't nearly so bad, right? He's walking quite a bit. Uh, The line across the board, he's striking out a lot too, which sort of suggests like pitchers are being very careful with him as I would assume they might uh, with, you know, the the hotshot prospect making his his first turn around AAA, like, is the question? I, I think the question shouldn't be whether he's ready. It's just is he is he not an upgrade? Like I- even if he's bad defensively, is he still not a potential upgrade over the catchers they have? If you balance it all out, you know, I, I think the problem is the catcher position. It's not just like you know, it is. It's one of the premium positions. You talk about like the most important defensive positions on the on the field. Uh, I think you can make a case catcher is even more important than shortstop. Uh, and if you have someone who's not. Uh, up to your major league standard, and uh, the problem here for the Mets, and it's it's a good problem to have. Uh, the guys that they've had at the major league level are not just average major league defenders at the position; they're above average. You know, mm-hmm. Nito and McCann 
uh, are, I think Nito is just about as good a framer as anyone in the sport. Uh, McCann has gotten there over the over the past couple of years. Michael Perez is is an excellent defensive catcher as well. They're they're known, uh, you know, Perez. Uh, has only been here a short amount of time, but has built a pretty good rapport with, with the starters that he's caught as well. It's been pretty seamless for him, even with a guy like Bassett, who we know is difficult to catch. Uh, and so throwing, uh, you know, like having a, a, a guy at third base in Brett Beatty, who's maybe not up to the, the, the standard that you've set this year, that sets you back on, you know, maybe a ground ball per game. And that's probably overestimating it. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's probably one play a weekend that Brett Beatty doesn't make that Eduardo, Eduardo Escobar does. Oh, I think it's probably, way less than that. I think it's, I think if you, and, and <laughs> I think if you know, I think seriously, like I think if you looked at the difference between like across the course of a season between like the best third baseman and the, and the best uh, and the worst third baseman, it's, it's one play a weekend. And that's from yeah, that's I, the extremes, and that yeah, that, that's probably Guillaume rather than right, Escobar, right? Um, whereas at catcher, like you're affecting every pitch, um, and so I don't think your fear is that uh, like you're hurting Francisco Alvarez. Like the fear right now is not you're hurting Alvarez's development; it's that you're hurting your major league team because you're bringing in someone who doesn't know how to handle your pitching staff, uh, a pitching staff that has has worked really well with its catchers over the course of the season. This is why I thought like. In July, when when McCann was out, uh, and when you were basically starting Nito every game, like that was the time to see what you had in Francisco right. Alvarez. Uh, now, it this is a more difficult time to try to throw him into the deep end and see what he's got, um, uh, and to do that at the major league level in the middle of a pennant race as a catcher. Um, it's, I, I I don't really know uh, of a uh, another player coming into that kind of spot at that position uh, in the past, uh, and you know we, we've talked all season about like the last guy to catch a lot of games in the major leagues at the age of 20 was Yvonne Rodriguez uh, and Yvonne Rodriguez. You had no concerns <laughs> about his defensive acumen, right? You know, the, that was, that was his strength. Uh, that is not uh, the strength of Francisco Alvarez at this point in his career. He, he's, I, I don't think it's to the point where you worry about him catching long-term for you. Uh, he can get there. It's just, this is, would be a really tough spot to put him in. That's it. I, the, maybe there comes a point where it's probably worthwhile, where the best team you can build for October involves Francisco Alvarez catching. Maybe that, that happens on September 1st. Maybe it's a little bit farther down the line. It's just it's a lot more difficult now than I thought it would have been last month. I think that's true, and I think you're probably right. And like I'm, I'm mostly playing devil's advocate, but I'm sort of talking myself into this a little bit because the you know you mentioned the the pitching staff and how well they've clicked with the catchers. Forty percent of the starts right now are going to to Hall of Famers, right? Like veteran guys who who presumably want to win and want to be you know want to be the have the best team around them in a, in every game and. Like, is there no way that that Jacob Degrom and Max Scherzer can hold this guy's hand through a start? They're Jacob Degrom and Max Scherzer. Like, even if it means like, so yeah, so maybe it means you know a few less strikes on the corners. Uh, maybe it means a, a a bad a bad choice or two or or a, a trouble syncing up a couple times in the game. But like, isn't isn't there a case that that the greater good is worthwhile there? I mean, we we saw on Monday what it what happens when a catcher and and Scherzer aren't on the same page. But that's the guy who's uh, here. That's the guy who's already here for being on the same page with the pitchers, right? So, like, if it can happen with James McCann, why can't you just let that happen with Francisco Alvarez and and at least get the offense? Well, it, it might happen more than once. Right, right. <laughs> I know. Game, I know. Uh, is your concern? Uh, so, look, I, you know, we it, it's certainly disappointing or, or certainly frustrating if you're a Mets fan because you see what Atlanta has done, where they just throw 
Michael Harris II and Vaughn Grissom, guys who didn't play above AAA at their problems. And those guys have not just filled in, but they've excelled. Uh, and, you know, the Mets have had have these this number of big league uh, of, of major prospects that you've heard about for years now in in Vientos, Beatty and Alvarez they all get to AAA this season uh, and you want them all to be able to make the same kind of impact and they've only given the shot to one of them and he hasn't been able to make that impact in his first week uh, and I'm, I'm not too concerned about Brett Beatty at this point but he's not running away with the third base job the way uh, you kind of hoped he might if you were a Mets fan so I understand that frustration of it, but it's all like it is really hard to go from AAA to the major leagues. The Harris and Grissom—they are the exceptions to the rule. Uh, we've seen so many really, really good baseball players, guys like Aaron Judge, guys like Mike Trout, who uh, did not have the defensive question marks you have about Alvarez, uh, and who were outstanding offensive players, really struggle upon their first uh, introduction to the major leagues. So I just the idea that like I, I think I see this all the time with with fans talking about calling up guys from the, from the minors like they can't be worse like it can't be worse than McCann right now it can't be worse than right. that it can be much worse <laughs> like it can be you know we saw Khalil Lee last year when he wasn't ready that was worse right uh I, you know when I saw Yohan Moncada when he first came up with the Red Sox and he was they gave him the everyday third base job and then he struck out his next 10 10 nine plate appearances and he no longer had the, the, the third base job it can be worse you know so I, I think uh You've got to understand that it, it, it might be worse with Alvarez. Uh, and if that's the case, do you have the wiggle room, you know, to live with that when the lead in the division is only two? Yeah, I mean, it's I guess I'm I'm sick and tired of it working out for the Braves when they do that stuff. You know, like it's just is what well, just one time. How about how about, you know, and, and it's happened for the Mets, too, that where they've caught lightning in a bottle with a with the prospect at the right time. Daniel Murphy coming basically straight from double A. Uh, I think he played one game in triple A before Murphy came up and had that year. And he was like totally off the map, if you'll recall, uh, as a prospect. So uh, it's it's not like it doesn't happen to the Mets, too. It's just I mean, like you I mean, said, Jeff McNeil, like yeah, <laughs> we Jeff McNeil, don't talk enough right. about it. Jeff McNeil was not was not this huge prospect. He was just having an an excellent year at double A. Uh, got moved up to AAA and then moved up to the, ma- the majors in 2018 and has just been a two-time all-star since then like that was not a guy who was supposed to be a top 100 prospect uh, and has been uh, an outstanding major league player yeah I, right exactly so but uh, I don't know I, I I think you're right like I think that you know you have to keep the big picture in mind and I'm certain that uh, this front office and this coaching staff is uh, creative enough and open-minded enough that if they truly believed Alvarez was was the best choice uh, at catcher, he would be there already despite his youth. Um, so I'm I'm sure you're right. I think it's just it's frustrating, like you said, to have like it, there's another pitcher spot. There's still a pitcher spot in the lineup even though they have a DH. Now. Yeah, but I, I think one thing you can imagine is if the Mets do decide to carry a third catcher in the postseason. Perhaps Alvarez is one of them, okay. you know, uh, and that's a way you get another right-handed bat on your bench because uh, they still don't have the deepest right-handed bench uh, most of the most nights. You have him on your bench, uh, and then you know if you you pinch hit for McCann in the sixth inning or something, uh, maybe you leave Alvarez in for a couple innings until you really feel like you need to have Nito. You know, you leave him in for for two at bats. Uh, and then if you feel you need a defensive replacement late, then you bring in Nito or, you know, you mix up that order somehow. Uh, you know, that's probably a better option for them than carrying three defensive-minded catchers like they are currently, uh, where, you know, it's it's a little harder to pinch hit 
more than once for for those guys in big spots. Like, can he physically catch Edwin Diaz's pitches? Because it feels like it really wouldn't be that hard to call a game for a pitcher who's practically unhittable, right? Like anything you throw down, they're not going to hit. So how hard could that be? Yeah, I mean, I remember when when Chris Sale got to the Red Sox and he said, like, he never shakes off his catcher. Just, you know, as a matter of principle, it does not shake. Uh, and so I asked, uh, Sandy Leone was the, <laughs> that's the such Red a Sox weird. That's such a weird guy. decision to make. It's just like, I'm just going with my guy, no matter what. Uh, I mean, it, look, it's the decision every Cardinals pitcher has made for 20 years. Right. Um, and, and as Sandy Leone, like, oh, like, is that, does that put like extra pressure on you calling games? And he's like, no, like I, I put down any pitch and it's an amazing pitch. Like it doesn't matter what I call. I could call 50 straight sliders and it all work. 50 straight fastballs, they'd all work. Right. It's all like, it's just, the stuff is so good. It doesn't really matter. Uh, and you know, the Mets have, have more than one guy like that. Here's a question from the former fireballing Tigers reliever, Matt Anderson. Uh, we're assuming it's the same guy. He says, uh, I was wondering how you see all the starts versus left-handed starting pitchers shaking out over the rest of the season and playoffs. With the track record in this season's more pronounced reverse splits from Cano who starts against lefties, seems like a difficult uh, but good kind of difficult call. Uh, might the opposing team's bullpens play a role in who starts in terms of maximizing pinch-hitting maneuverability. You know, I, I do think you you have seen, like, the the games the Mets have played against teams that don't have uh, a lefty reliever or don't have a good lefty reliever. Uh, we've seen uh, Buck Showalter stack his lefties in the, the second half of the order more, where they've had four or even five straight left-handed bats. Uh, and, and so the bullpen considerations play a role in that. You know, like, uh, Canada's reverse splits, they're... More pronounced this year than usual. Um, I think, let's see, it's an 844 OPS against righties, only 672 against lefties. As recently as 2020 and 2019, uh, as recently as 2020, it was the opposite. 2019, yeah, an excellent year against righties. Um, And over the course of his career, he's been a little bit better against righties than lefties. Um, Reverse splits take a a while to normalize, even more than normal splits, uh, someone was explaining to me recently. Uh, And so you kind of, you still kind of default to regular platoon splits mm-hmm. with those guys, especially hitters. Well, oh, uh, pitchers, because you have, to, you, know, you have to keep in mind, you know, which same hand pitchers those like if, if you are a guy who's typically a platoon bat, uh, if you're a righty platoon bat and you're facing a, a right handed pitcher, it's probably because there's something about that matchup that favors you rather than him being like a uh, a, you know, a tough like guy, right hander guy who's going to come from the side. Yeah. And and like I, I think when when. When the rubber hits the road and we get into uh, the playoffs, that Ken is going to be starting more often than not, mm-hmm. uh, even against righties. Uh, you know, Tyler, I think they've they've looked at Tyler Naquin in those spots. You know, Naquin's like, look, his career OPS against righties is better than Canna's. Uh His career OPS, th- sorry, his 2022 OPS against righties better than Canna's. Uh But I think you, know, you get into the postseason, you you kind of trust the guys who who got you there a little bit more. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if, if Canna, you know, if, if it's game two against the Dodgers and Tony Gonsolin is on the mound, maybe you're starting Mark Canna instead of Tyler Naquin. Um, I, I do think their their issues with left-handed pitching, uh, they are they persist, you know. And uh, if you are plotting out a, a, a seven-game series against Los Angeles where you're going to face Clayton Kershaw, you're going to face Julio Urias, uh, and you might be facing Tyler Anderson, uh, and that those might be like five of the seven games you play. Uh, you know, you want you want your your right-handed bats to, to perform better against lefties than the Mets have this year. Ruff hasn't exactly filled that role just yet, uh, the way they wanted him to. Uh, you know, guys like 
guys like McCann, who had long track records of hitting lefties, haven't done it this year. Canna has been worse than usual against lefties. Uh, so, uh, you know, Francisco Lindor has not been as good against lefties as usual. So I think that is a real concern for them as you're projecting them out in the playoffs and, and who you want to match up against uh, is probably as few left-handed pitchers as possible given the way they performed against them this year. I think, I think they've averaged like half a run less per game against left-handed pitchers versus righties. I think, you know, and you you mentioned uh, splits taking a while to normalize. I would just say on Ruff's behalf, like he has legit been great against lefties through his career. He has, so far as a Met, 26 at-bats. If you're a, a, the short half platoon guy, uh, sometimes the opportunities just aren't there for you. Yeah, we, we haven't seen the Mets play against a lot of left-handed starters uh, just yet. And and Ruff, some of those at-bat, like he's, he's started, I think he started a game against a righty uh, at this point because of... Um, you know, double headers and such. So uh, I'm not worried about Darren Ruff's ability to hit left-handers long-term. It's just you would like to see it happen. Right. You know, you want to make sure that that he's in the right spot uh, mentally and physically. Like, he's in a rhythm against lefties when the playoffs come around. Well, and we talked about, you know, the the importance of that first impression, right, on the on a manager and on a, on a team and on a fan base and everything, right? It is if a guy is hot out of the gate and doing what he's supposed to, I think you, you know, he he earns the manager's favor and you see him in all those spots and and rough probably hasn't done that yet you missed our tuesday live show where multiple questions called for dfaing darren rough oh man we're already uh, dfaing he had he had he you gotta give him more than 25 at bats you gotta you uh, have to they call that the travis darno corollary right right yeah and you gotta learn from these things right like eventually Guys, the mean is just such a powerful force in baseball. Darren Ruff is going to hit closer to his career norms than this. Yeah, so the that will be interesting to watch how they perform against lefties down the stretch. Uh, I'm trying to think of who they face this weekend from Colorado. I don't know. I guess they get, they get Kyle Freeland at some point, so we'll see how the lineup does against him in particular. We will be back next week to talk more about that. If you've got a question for the show, you can get after us on Twitter. Tim is at Tim Britton. I am at OG Ted Berg. As always, you can email askTedBerg at gmail.com if it's something that won't fit within the character limit. Uh, Tim, until next week, peace out. Please send Ted your best air fryer recipes, your most creative, innovative air fryer Just recipes. Just let me know. see what he can cook up. Absolutely. Let anything I can throw in there, let me know, please. Adios. Peace. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 